Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Hui Chen Bui. I'm a USA Today contributor and a pop culture journalist in D.C. I'm Anya Crittenden, an editor and writer for Entertainment Earth News. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. Okay, guys, so today our topic is art house cinema. We, inspired by the ongoing Cannes Film Festival, uh, I guess that's they're announcing the Palme d'Or today. Or I guess I should say the Palme d'Or. <laughs> <laughs> as we, as we uh, alienate any French listeners. Right. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, and so we've been talking about the Cannes Film Festival and just art house cinema and like indie films and foreign films that are, you know, shown here in America. Um, and we were, we were just, you know, we were talking about how, how are these films seen and why, like, are, are they not a bigger part of film, you know, in today's day and age? Because back in the 60s and 70s, you know, they were showing them in America and that's what uh, kicked off the, the, 70, the new 70s Hollywood films like Taxi Driver um, and Barney and Clyde and all those films. So, like, we just want to talk about our appreciation for these films because not only do we like blockbusters and, you know, bigger size budget films, but we also really like the little indie guy, you know? So that's what we're going to be talking about today, guys. I feel like we should define art house and indie cinema a bit because, you know, like, it's interesting. I feel like someone listening wouldn't necessarily think of, like, Bonnie and Clyde as, like, art house or indie now because it's such a classic and they're just like, oh, like, it's a classic big Hollywood film. So I feel like I feel like we should kind of define what we what we mean by art house and indie. I feel like HT is the best person to do this, to be honest. Yes. Thank you, guys. I mean, it is actually kind of hard to define art house and indie, but um, I would Well, what s- does Webster's Dictionary say? <laughs> I mean, I would say that the art house film is defined by being developed and distributed outside of the Hollywood system. Um, You can see main, like, well-known directors such as Steven Soderbergh um, and who else? The director of Drive. Oh, what's his name again? Nicholas Nicholas Wendenreifing? Yes. Yeah, so you see, like, well-known directors such as that. creating these sort of art house films, but they generally exist on the fringes of uh, the mainstream movie. And they go into stories that are just equally disturbing, provocative, um, poignant. Um, They generally tend to go for more, like, of the provocative. But they are a great indicator of kind of current societal feeling, I guess. Um, more so than any blockbuster has today, but it's it's a little bit difficult to do it. Like outside of just being like, oh, they're low budget, they're an indie director, they have a lesser known cast, but even like more prestigious actors such as Kate Blanchett or um, Kristen Stewart, who is known for doing like the indie circuit now, can go into the art house film. I guess it's just the the kind of film that is supposed to be thought provoking. Um, kind of elevate or like bring you outside of your comfort zone, I guess. What do you guys yeah, think the, are, would be? Like- I was just going to say, um, the Wikipedia says that it is an art <laughs> film. Just to be like, just to say that this is how correct HT is. Because like she pretty much read the Wikipedia article without actually looking at it. I have never seen the Wikipedia article, so. See? I was looking, See? I actually was um, reading it earlier today. <laughs> 
See, it says that art film is intended to be serious artistic work, often experimental and not designed for mass appeal, made primarily for aesthetic reasons rather than commercial profit, and contain unconventional or highly symbolic content. Okay. So there you go. And basically, independent film is a bit easier to define because all that means is that it's produced outside of a major film studio. Mm-hmm. So right. any kind of smaller film studio, lower budget... So independence usually easier to define because you just look at who made it pretty much. Also, although it's ironic that a lot of um, major studios now have like their like um, like their, like focus features as part of Universal and Sony Pictures Classic, and like all these all these studios that have like a sub studio that just for the like independent Feature. films, mm-hmm. but yeah. like they, they still like retain the uh, like essence of, of a independent film because it's basically as a as a a means of distribution so what we were talking about earlier like before we got into our episode we were kind of discussing um the power i guess of the art house film they used to be a lot more influential like willoughby was saying before um in the art house films in the 60s and the 70s kicked off new hollywood and created like this greater creative um invigoration of mainstream films um but nowadays there's like this there's this greater separation i feel like between the art house film and the franchise film they don't have as much of a connection between each other anymore and even when we were discussing the Cannes film festival um we didn't really hear anything coming out of it outside of like woody allen's controversy surrounding his wife yeah willoughby you were oh i was i was just gonna say that i think there is the only connection is that i feel like a lot of like um, mainstream actors are doing both mm-hmm. uh, nowadays. I feel like, uh, especially like with so many superhero films, there's a lot of like, you know, back in the day, the, it was always like no name actors or B list actors who were doing like um, superhero films. But now we've got you know Oscar winners and Oscar nominees and people who you know who are technically like you know A list stars are doing like the the major Marvel and DC movies. So it's interesting that outside of the actors and maybe a couple of, and a lot of the directors go from being independent to then doing a studio film. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise they're wholly separate entities. I, I going off of that. Um, I think there are, there is a connection between them and that um, they need each other. Um, so I think that, you know, actors, like you were saying, Oscar winners doing these kind of films, you know, part of it is, it's pure fun. Like everyone loves them. They're going to be in a film that lots of people are going to see. It's going to be a big paycheck. Their name's going to get out there. It's probably a lot of fun to make. Um, But the other thing is that both directors and actors have to do blockbuster films in order to make their indie art house films, because the paycheck from the blockbuster allows them to finance the smaller film that maybe means more to them. And like the film that they want to make and they can't make it without the paycheck from the blockbuster. You know, that's very Hollywood true. is a Hollywood's a business. It's true, yeah. yeah. A lot, so I, know, I would I'm, say that's I'm why they're sure that together. you know John Favreau probably did chef off of the money that he made Iron Man and Iron Man Two with. So mm-hmm. um, and now he's making the jungle books, so he's probably gonna go back to like, uh, do a independent film later. Uh, so where do you guys think the place is for the independent slash art house film? Because we're seeing these days, um, like we spoke about earlier during the Legacy Pool episode, um, the 
box office is becoming more and more narrow as, you know, uh, executives and studios put all their money into specific type of films. So you see franchises and sequels, but you don't see a lot of variety amongst those kind of films. And because of that, Indian art house films are being pushed out, and not a lot of people are going to the movies anymore, so you're seeing a lot of those kind of independent film theaters closed. So do you think that there is a place for them anymore? Do you think it's going to be harder to ex- access them? Um, yes and no. I think as unfortunate as it is that more and more independent film theaters like uh the there was that film in there was there there um that cinema in dc that closed but then it was bought by landmark um and but now i think that we're going to get uh more and more film independent films online uh on demand and on streaming services uh sooner than or at least they'll see distribution at all. Um, because I know, I mean, a lot of like Joe Swanberg's films, uh, have been, uh, released on iTunes like two weeks before they're actually in theaters at all. I mean, then they're only in theaters for a couple of weeks in very limited release, but a lot of, uh, a lot of independent filmmakers are, uh, finding it easier to distribute online. So I think that it seems that, uh, that seems to be the trend where, where, where the, independent film scene will be on on the internet or on demand services um and you and that might be easier for people to see because like you said you know these theaters are closing and even when we had more theaters for independent cinema there weren't a lot of them in to be given within the first place i mean that's why i think these films have always been seen as exclusive or elitist because they're not in the mainstream mm. Can I say real quick, um, yes. I just needed to point this out. Uh, Chris Hewitt, who is the editor for Empire Magazine, just tweeted this, and it's literally perfect. It's a conversation between two people, the tweet, and it says, bah, Hollywood just makes dumb blockbusters, nothing original. Well, we just made the nice guys. Did you see that? Nah, I was busy. What? There it is. There it is. Exactly. That's, exactly. It's, so it's our entire discussion in a tweet. <laughs> yeah, and like going off of what Willoughby was gonna like saying is like technologies. You always have to think about technology when it comes to movies. It's gonna change the landscape of movies forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think there's an ebb and flow to movies, kind of like what Spielberg was saying about the superhero movie or the genre not lasting forever. Um, and I think that's true. You know, like things rise and things fall. And sixties and seventies were kind of art house, darker films. Um, and then by the late 70s into the 80s, blockbusters took over. And, you know, that we could see a fall in blockbusters over the next several years. Um, you know, maybe not anytime soon, but, like, certainly movies don't save the same all the time. I and think, I think the other thing... Go ahead, oh, no. I was just going to say, I think once we get past the sixth transformers film and the fifth avatar i think we'll start to see the the collapse of the uh, of the blockbuster empire yes well especially when uh lesser blockbuster films are the ones <laughs> making those splashes um but the other thing you know is uh, there's you know internet and technology of course but it's like if you live in the midwest in the united states you also don't even have the option to go see these films in theaters like independent films are pretty much limited to san francisco los angeles dc new york you know sometimes chicago boston but they don't really 
screen other places. And I will say, as someone who lives in Los Angeles and does go to see independent films a lot, like, the theaters are never empty. Whenever I see them, like, the theaters are pretty full. People do have an interest in these films. It's just that it's a much smaller audience than the mass appeal blockbusters. It's a very niche group. Yeah, like, whenever whenever I go to see movies at E Street Cinema in D.C., they're always pretty full with people, especially if it's, like, a Friday or Saturday night. Um, you know, it, it, it's a, if it's, it's a definitely a different crowd than the blockbuster crowd. Um, a lot of older people will go see the movies. Um, I think I remember seeing the theory of everything at Eddie Street Cinema, and it was just packed with old people, <laughs> which is great. I'm glad that old people are seeing movies, but it's just, like, it was just a very different experience than seeing, like, you know, Civil War two weeks ago, like, you know? Although I will say I have been seeing a more varied audience at whenever I go to an independent theater. I It's really nice to see, like, college kids who are obviously, like, trying to branch out with their movie taste or, like, older people and have, have them all in the same theater and experiencing the same movie. So, yeah, yeah I think that... I think that there is a place still for them. And, um, yeah, I agree. Online is definitely where uh, it's at now, despite I feel like independent art house movies still having sort of a, a skepticism towards online because they're they're traditionally a more older, elite, sort of old-school type of industry. They, you know, still put a lot of stock in the Cannes Film Festival, for example. Okay. Um, but you're seeing more films like uh, Beasts of No Nation on Netflix. Uh, Amazon just bought the distribution, I think, for this film that was making a lot of waves at Cannes. I'm pretty sure Amazon did anyways. It was The um, uh, the, ha- the Handmaiden, which was the which was a really interesting movie, apparently, about um, by the same director as Old Boy, about a Korean um, lesbian gothic story, which sounds oh, amazing. Oh, I heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I, I feel like definitely there is there is a really interesting path that art house and indie films could be taking, and we're seeing kind of the beginning of that. And hopefully yeah. people will become more aware of them this way, because a lot of people, yeah, you were saying earlier, Anya, are complaining about there's no originality in movies anymore, everything is a sequel, everything is a franchise, everything is a reboot of a not-so-great 80s movie. So, yeah, I, I, I guess I have hope still for the art house film, and I still, like, some of them are my favorite movies. Uh. Yeah. And so I, I, I want to bring this to an, another point of discussion. So, like, we've been talking about art house cinema as an industry. But what do you guys think of art house cinema? Like, the like we, we all know we love blockbusters, but I think we haven't really talked a lot about our appreciation for art house cinema as a, as a, as a, a storytelling device. So what do, you guys, what do you guys think of the foreign independent film genre? I mean, I, I love them. Um, I do not think that they are in any way inherently better than blockbusters. I kind of hate that uh, thought process of like art and entertainment being mutually exclusive and blockbusters can't be artistic and indie films can't be entertaining and et cetera, et cetera. Neither are better than one or the other. Um, but I mean, I love them. I'm Currently, all the movies that I want to go see are sort of indie art housey films i'm hoping to see a bigger splash today um and then i want to see the lobster and love and friendship and i don't know if i would consider the i don't know the nice guys isn't indie because it's warner brothers yeah um but it's it's certainly more niche 
yeah. than other big Warner Brothers films. Um, and I definitely want to see that. So, I mean, they have worth, just like blockbusters, just kind of usually a different type of worth. They tend to make you think a little more. And there's nothing wrong with going to be entertained, but there's nothing wrong with just wanting to be moved by a film either. I agree with that completely. Um, yeah, I, I think that they offer a much-needed variety in the films that we're seeing every day, like, outside of seeing just another superhero movie, which I enjoy just as much, but sometimes I just want to see, I don't know, the next Jane Austen movie, Love and Friendship, I'm going to see today, actually, so I'm excited. Um, and yeah, I think that I, I enjoy them a lot. I love to see movies where people just walk and talk all the time, and I wish that people, yeah, like, the... Richard Linklater before Sunset, before movies are some of my favorites. Um, I wish people would go see them more. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I love them. Yeah, no, I love them, too. I love them for their emphasis more on character development than plot, because I feel like you can, you can, I love character development stories where, where there's just such a rich evolution from what, from point A to point B. Um, and I think that, uh, especially when it comes to like characters interacting and meeting, and if there's like either just a friendship or a romance, like like the strength of a friendship or a relationship throughout a movie, and like I feel like in art, independent and art house cinema, you get that more often than like in blockbuster or blockbusters or more mainstream films. Like I love both, but I feel like you know it only you, you, there's that stereotype of blockbusters where the romance is just tacked on, or the you know the, there isn't a lot of character development, and I think that you know, people always complain about Hollywood not having that um, or having that too much, where I think you can look at the art house cinema and see that, see two characters like fall in love or fall into friendship. And it's just a lot more fun because that's what the emphasis is put on. Um, And I think that, you know, when I watch art house films, it's more for the enjoyment of seeing two characters interact with each other rather than like whatever the plot may be. Um, even, even though the plots can be pretty interesting, pretty fun. Um, but I think that with Art House, it's more about the introspective look at a person and what it means to be human. <laughs> that was beautifully said, Willoughby. Thank you. Poetic. So I was thinking, um, do you guys think that there's much of an inter- like a mass interest in these films? Because certainly it doesn't help that Hollywood makes these films not very accessible. You know, marketing isn't everywhere like it is for blockbusters. They're not shown in movie theaters across the country. Um, So Hollywood certainly does make it hard, but at the same time, do we also, do we see audiences trying to seek them out or trying to learn more about them? You know, they complain about the lack of original films, but do they see what people are putting out? I honestly don't think that they see them at all. Like, they just don't, they're just not exposed to them. Um, like, if, for example, if I say to a random coworker, oh, I want to see a bigger splash, and they're just like, I've never heard of that movie. So there is still a big gap, I guess, in being exposed to these films and appreciating them. I feel like if they were exposed to them, then they would appreciate these kind of films more. But, you know, I, we follow IndieWire on Twitter, and we, like, are in these sort of, circles, I guess, that are exposed more to these kind of films, so we can have a greater appreciation of them. But, uh, yeah, it's... I I don't know how we can bridge that gap, honestly, and, like, I don't know if there's, like, a great movement to, or if there should be, like, some sort of 
create a reaching out between like the indie and art house industry and getting to mainstream audiences or even if they want to. So, well, yeah. I think I think if if Hollywood's not doing their job to get these movies out there, then I think it's our job. And I think if we have a movie that we want people to watch, you know, that we and we should it should be our job to you know either you know have a movie night and set them down and be like, Oh, I really want to show you this cool movie that, you know, not a lot of people have heard of or something like that. Um, I think, it, you know, I remember I, sh- I showed a bunch of people, Joe Swanberg's drinking buddies a couple years ago, because I really, I found that film online and I really liked it. Cause it was like one of those like all improvised movies and, um, Jake Johnson and Anna Kendrick and, uh, Olivia Wilde were in it. Um, and it was like great movie, really fun. Um, and you know, I always tried to, to show it to people because I knew they've never heard of it because it's such an independent film. Um, and I think that it's, you know, our job as film lovers t- to proselytize these films across to our friends and family and be like, you should check out this movie. It's really great. You know, it's different than what, you know, all the blockbusters and stuff. So yeah, word of also mouth think, does a lot. Mm-hmm. What word of mouth does a great amount. Um, and I, but, uh, and that's in case, you know, Hollywood doesn't get their act together. Um, but also I think that we need to, you know, it's always fun to share movies with people. This is one of the good things about social media. You love a yes. movie, you want it to be seen, go talk about it, tell the world about it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's important. Um, but I think, uh, HT, you mentioned this early, I forget if you mentioned this in recording or before we started recording, but that there's a sense of like elitism. Mm-hmm. With I said before the recording. Before the recording. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you could talk more about that in the recording. Um, yeah, I kind of touched on this earlier, but there is a sense of elitism amongst the art house industry again, um, if you can really call them that, because um, they're only like a select few, a group of people. Um, but the amongst the people who watch art house and indie films, they have this uh, sort of pretension amongst them, so no other way to say it, that they have better taste in films than the mainstream moviegoer. And because of that, they tend to, I guess, push away the viewers who don't, who aren't as knowledgeable about like art house films. And I think there is a sort of divide, more than more than just a gap, but just kind of like this clash, I guess, between the art house indie moviegoer and the mainstream moviegoer. And they don't want them to, I guess, invade their territory. Um, and it's it sucks because you know movies are for everyone whether they are experimental or whether they are a superhero film and i think that if people were aware of all sorts of films and like the greatness that can be in a superhero film for example like captain america's war has great character moments and development or people were aware of the bigger splash with tilda swinton and like were able to appreciate both of these kind of films i think that it would be greater for everyone all around Yes. Yeah, I kind of, I, it almost feels like there's a sense of um, elitism, but also sort of some classism oh, agreed. when it comes to Hollywood. I mean, you know, besides the fact that, like, it can be expensive to go to the movies and, you know, not everyone can afford it. And does Hollywood, you know, Hollywood only appeals to those who can. And yeah, like, there's this elitism and classism which I think is a problem in Hollywood. And also, it's it that I feel like that also, everything ties into each other, but that it ties into, like, that Hollywood's diversity problem. Mm. You know, they don't tell stories about people who they don't think are going to come see their films, and they doubt that, and they make generalizations about the audience. No, 
know, that's, actually, that's something I was thinking about, too, because it's unfortunate that despite art house films having the ability to basically do whatever they want and break, break barriers, they don't really go for diversity still. Unless no, like they're still very film. much about, like, the white person's plight mm-hmm. and how deeply emotional growing up is, but for a white person. Mm-hmm. The 400 blows. <laughs> yeah. And, like, Guard state. <laughs> as much as we um, laud these films, they, yeah, they're not perfect either, and they're still just a little corner of the movie industry and, um, like, that movie industry's experiences, basically. Yeah. Yeah, so do you guys I think there's hope for Hollywood. I hope and so. Art house and I mean, I hope that that as as we see more and more independent films go online, that more people see them. Hollywood gets the ideas to kind of you know maybe do like another new Hollywood, like more more maybe you know more mid budget movies that have great character development and stuff that aren't just blockbusters or, and whatnot. I, you know, I think that that's another thing we were talking about this in a couple episodes ago where we either get these small independent films or major, major blockbusters. Like there's no mid budget mm-hmm. film anymore. Um, and the ones we do see they're few and far between. Um, so I think that we, I, I think there's hope that we can get like another new Hollywood. Um, it might be, be some time it might not be till the roaring 20s come back around but i think we're good yeah um and this was sort of a point of yeah again we touched on this sort of this uh sort of trend earlier but um steven soderbergh for example was a really well-known art house and indie filmmaker but he actually has come out and said that he's not going to be making any more movies um he's going to be focusing solely on tv which is where a lot of this sort of experimentation and um, new, really interesting stories are being told. So do you guys think that maybe not, I don't know, I wouldn't say like as to go so far as to say like the era of the art house film is over, but do you think that it's changing and becoming more like serialized television online? I I mean, I definitely think with this quote-unquote golden age of, of TV that we're getting a lot more, a, a lot more varied television, a lot more different television um, that, you know, you actually get, you know, like you said, Steven Soderbergh and other filmmakers are coming to TV to do something different and new um, that I think that we could see an evolution of, like, art house TV, you know? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think we're definitely seeing that on television with the stories they're telling. And certainly television can at least both more diversity than Hollywood movies. Um, So I think we're seeing kind of the things that you get from art house cinema in television right now. Um, But I, I certainly hope that it comes back to movies in a bigger way, because as much as I love TV, I think film is my first and foremost love. And I'd like to see a bigger kind of indie art house and more diverse kind of, Surge. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you because, as much as like I love the the peak TV era that we're going through, it does feel very overwhelming because there's just so much TV. And as if it, even if it's good, I don't know if I have the time or like the attention to watch it. And I feel like there is more to be said in movies. Like they can make, I feel like they can make a bigger statement even if they're in an art house film, and it's easier to just kind of 
keep that in a very limited space. Um, so, and make more of an impact. So I, I hope that, yeah, maybe we'll have more of a search back to mid-budget indie art house films getting better, better promotion and better uh, exposure. Yeah, and the responsibility lays on everyone's feet. Yep. You know, film lovers and studio execs and directors and everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Can't just yep. complain about it on Twitter. No, nope. exactly. <laughs> do, go and do something about it. Yeah. This is a call to arms, guys. So, And also to, to demand better of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yes. As we always do, but you know, it's important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't always listen. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of talked a little bit about our appreciation for art house films. I, don't, I feel like we didn't really go into it, but um, do you guys have any indie art house films that you really want to push and just kind of, you know, give a shout out to? There are so many. <laughs> there are so many. I think that's <laughs> that's the thing is that like there are a lot of them, mm-hmm. and even if you don't it, have access to them or see them, there's so many of them that I I love. One of you guys should go first. Mm-hmm. Ht, do you have one? Uh, well, yeah, this is kind of hard to actually. Now that I posed the question, I was like, oh, there's so many I love. Um, I really like Richard Linklater's. Um, before movies, and I recently saw Everybody Wants Some, which I really enjoyed. And I want to go back and watch Days and Confused now. Um, I guess the the good thing about watching an indie art house movie now is that there's so much history and context to each one that you can go back and watch even greater movies that influenced it. Um, so, uh, Eternal Sunshine, I guess you could kind of call it um, an art house yeah. film, but that's my favorite okay. movie. That was, on Wiki- that was on Wikipedia's uh, uh, list of, like, movies. Was it really? Art House. Yeah, it's, yeah. On, it's on there. You can qualify at that. Awesome. Um, yeah, I really want to see The Lobster, which is coming out this... Which just came out this week. Yeah, um, I want to see that, too. Starring, starring Colin Farrell. Um, and it's, uh, it seems like a really interesting, quirky rom-com about people who turn into animals after they don't find love if they don't find love by a certain time. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds fun. Um, one, would you guys think that David O. Russell would be an indie filmmaker? Because I feel like he's gotten a lot of fame now, and also he's very problematic at the same time. I, def- I mean, I, I would say so. I feel yeah. like when, uh, when Silver Linings Playbook was on Netflix, it was classified as an independent film. Mm. I think it's earlier stuff, for sure. Yeah. Anyways, mm-hmm. he... He's someone that I wouldn't recommend because <laughs> amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, I. So now that I've had a little bit of time to think about it, I mean, I think Tarantino is popular as he is. He's mm-hmm. definitely more of an art house director, just in terms of the niche audience that he goes for. Um, and I mean, it's no secret on here that I love him. So him and all his films are definitely some favorites of mine. Um, and big influences on me. Um, I think another big one is uh, The Fall, which Ooh. I'm going to be showing both HT and Willoughby when I'm out in D.C. next month. So get excited, guys. It's an interesting film because it's it has its weaknesses, but as a display of like film and technology and kind of the sheer power of film as a visual medium, um, it it's overwhelming to me. I, it still overwhelms me. I love it a lot. Um, it was one of those films that when I saw it, when I, I saw it when I was uh, in high school, I think, 
Um, and it was one of those films that just kind of blew me away and being like, wow, film is a lot bigger than I ever thought it was. Mm. And it can do a lot more than I ever thought. Um, so that's another thing for art house films, that it can expand your horizons. It can, it's true. What you think so, that movie um, can do. Yeah, yeah, and so the fall definitely do that for me. Um, and then I just have to give a shout out to French film because oh, definitely, I French film is one of my favorite just um, foreign film. I don't want to say genres, but just like French film as a whole, I really mm-hmm. love, um, and I love what they put out. So yeah, also what we do in the shadows. Yes, I love that movie. It's such a great film, and now like he's gonna like Tiger White is gonna get all this fame for doing Thor Ragnarok, and I'm just like, look at how far you've come. Yeah, he's been tweeting about it a lot. He's he's been pretty his, hilarious about it. His tweets are hilarious. I <laughs> love I have to include James Gunn and Peyton guy. Reed. Yeah, he's like, do I have to include that purple guy? <laughs> and his how rocks. Many <laughs> how many explosions do you need? Because I currently have one. <laughs> he's um, so great. Yeah. Lovely. So, I mean, I've got a couple from, like, you know, I've got, like, if I had to recommend, like, a French New Wave film, I'd say, like, uh, Breathless or Band of Outsiders, both by Godard, but 400 Blows by Truffaut. Um, and then more recently, Drive by Nicholas Winding Refn, whatever, however you pronounce it. Just go with that. Um, Drive is an excellent art. I mean, you could definitely classify it as an art house cinema film uh even though it's like it um it's definitely like even though it's about a, a guy driving a car it's not an action film it's yeah. very much a slow meditation of character um and it's also got amazing cinematography uh and yeah and i'd also i'd say with like um just in general like you could always go by like uh uh foreign cinema like italian neorealism from the 50s and 60s French New Wave from the 60s and 70s. Um, I, there's plenty of, like, if you really want to go far back, there's, you know, uh, German film from the 1920s. Metropolis. <laughs> like, Yeah, Metropolis. Um, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, and um, also the big vampire one, Nosferatu. So, like, they're all, like, it's all, um, it's all, all great. Mm-hmm. Um, just go to Google and Google art film and see what comes up because <laughs> there's usually the ones that everyone else loves <laughs> I want to give a shout out to you Willoughby because um, you just mentioned the 400 blows Yes, I did. and uh, Jean-Pierre Laude uh, was just given the honorary Palme d'Or oh. this year Ooh, um, and he starred, he starred in the 400 blows he was um, a young kid when they uh, did the first he, one he was a yeah, kid, yeah. And so he just got the honorary one uh, so the big Palme d'Or hasn't been announced yet um, if it doesn't get announced before we end, we'll make sure to tweet about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so there you go, Willoughby. Yeah, and it's it's all up there for everyone to watch everywhere. Um, Hulu has a bunch of Criterion films, mm-hmm. and Criter- Criterion is a great um, spot to watch like art house films. Like that's what they basically specialize in is giving um, more people access to uh, smaller independent films that we may not have seen over the past 50 years of cinema. Yeah. And give, uh, in line with Anya's French film shout-out, I want to give a shout-out to La N and Amélie, two of my favorite French films as well. Um, and I think that those kind of films are a signifier that 
not all indie and art house films are the same. They're not just long, lingering shots of the horizon. Like, Latin, I think you could think of train spotting when you see it. It's very action-packed and has a lot of the, that social-political commentary and um, racial commentary. And if you watch it, you will definitely be on the edge of your seat. Or Amelie, which is a romance and very beautiful to watch, but at the same time, you have, like, a very quirky sort of female character who is just very lovable. Oh, another one. Pan's Labyrinth, which is not a French film, but I really love it. <laughs> so good. That's so yeah, GDT too. doing his best. GDT. Um, yeah, there's just like a lot of variety in, in art house and indie films that you wouldn't really expect for someone if like you aren't really familiar with it. Then they're not all the same. They all have they have a lot of different stories, and they're just like they can either be really slow moving and poignant, or they can be adrenaline packed and um, action packed. So there's yeah. all sorts of films. I think it's a good thing to point out, especially what you just said, HT, about, like, foreign film. Um, it's not all, like, the long, lingering shots and stuff. I think some people find foreign film foreign and that they mm-hmm. can't really get into it. Um, but if you watch a foreign film, the only difference is the language they're speaking. Like, there's mm-hmm. still movies about humans and human relationships, and they can be really funny and really poignant and have lots of action and I think I think people should give foreign film more of a chance if they haven't or if they think that it's kind of inaccessible to them mm-hmm. um, like there are some really funny French films um, there's one called uh, Dinner des Cons which America made a remake of it called yeah. Dinner for Schmucks yeah. um, but the original French mm-hmm. film is hilarious it's, it's so, so funny. funny and you know it's like give I think it's just give them a chance a bit more mm-hmm. yeah all right. Um, I think that wraps up our discussion on art house and indie films. We just we just kind of scratched the surface, but I think I think that um, we gave a good appreciation of them. Do you, have, do you guys have anything else you want to add? I'm good. No. no. All right. Uh, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you, uh, Anya. Why don't you start us off today? Well, I really like. This is going to be just one part of it, but I really like that the Beauty and the Beast trailer is going to hit tomorrow. I'm so excited. Yes, it's going to hit on Good Morning America. I'm... Oh, Disney Synergy. I'm, like, so excited. I'm, like, not ready at all. Um, (laughs) Is it a teaser or is it a full trailer? I don't know. All it said was trailer. Um, But I've also heard heard teaser, so I don't know. Because I feel like with teasers, like, I remember the Cinderella teaser premiere. The glass slipper. And it was just the glass slipper. I was like, I'm hoping it's more. I hope it's more. I hope we see. Yeah. Um, if we don't see Beast, I'd I'd, I'd be a little mad. I I, I just want, I don't know. I'm just so excited for this film. It's one of my most anticipated films of the next several years. So the fact that we're giving like a first look tomorrow is very exciting. When does um, it come out in theaters? It comes out next March. Oh, that's kind oh of wow! Soon. So another yeah, another in 2017. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I'm excited for that. Um. But in terms of things that I can't actually talk about, um, I just really like. Parks and Recreation. Um, I'm currently rewatching it with my roommate who's never seen it before, which is amazing because I get to watch it through her eyes, uh, which is wonderful. And we're currently in season four. And have you gotten to the end of the world yet? No. Oh, that's my favorite episode. We're right at the beginning of uh, season four. Um, and Ben and Leslie are just a lot for me. They're like a lot. I Leslie Nope is my favorite. I love her, but I'm also just like. I've always loved Ben, but, like, I feel like this time around I have an even bigger appreciation for Ben and how wonderful he is. And I just, this is literally a perfect show. Mm-hmm. 
It is. It's perfect, and I love he's it. A, and he's I'm a so great happy. role model for dudes. He is, I think, and yeah, and I think this might actually be like my favorite show of all time. Maybe I, it's up there with The West Wing, certainly. Wow, both political shows. I know both like political shows. <laughs> government. It's okay, Parks and Rec isn't too political. It's, no, but, but it's like, more. It's about government. It's about government, too. Yeah, are, but and they're also both idealistic shows That's about true. government, though. Parks and Rec is so. just a happy show, and it's it's so great that we had such this such a, a ray of sunshine type of show um, in the era of grim and gritty, and it's so rare and it's beautiful. <laughs> it's a perfect show. I mean, like yeah. Brooklyn Nine Nine's like kind of filling that hole a little bit, but it will never completely fill that hole because there's nothing that's going to ever be like um, Parks and Rec again. Although I'm excited for Mike Schur's new show this uh, fall, The Good Place, with Kristen Bell. Oh yeah, I saw the trailer for I that. I saw the trailer for that. It interesting. I'll pretty much watch anything Mike Schur does. It so. has, I don't know how long that concept can be sustained. Yeah. I, I thought was... that about a lot of the upfront yeah. this year, actually. I was like, oh, this is a really great pilot idea. And then I'm like, can it last for 22 episodes and yeah. then for like more seasons? Yeah, I don't, there were a lot of shows. Yeah. I was thinking like the good place, like how much conflict can you really have in a place that's basically heaven? Like there's supposed to be past conflict at that point. So I mean, well, I, I know that said, she's the main character. Like, yeah, she's not supposed to be there. Yeah. And yeah. That's conflict. Yeah. I mean, that being said, it's Mike sure. So I'm going to have hope that he can pull this off. But yeah, there were like that new keeper Sutherland one designated survivor. Oh, is that the one where everyone dies except the designated survivor? And then well, he becomes yeah, president? Like, the, it actually, the, the trailer actually looks really good. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a movie I'd watch. Yeah. And then I was like, but after, like, after he becomes president and they, like, figure it out and they solve that and, like, it was on, is it just a show about him being the president? <laughs> At first well, I what? thought it was a sequel to 24 and I'm like, oh, that's where Jack Bauer's doing now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there actually is a sequel to 24. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. The upfronts this year are interesting. I have hope for some of them. Now I'm just talking about the upfronts, but yeah, we yeah. should talk about that because we they happen, and that's a big thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we talked about our cancellations, our our shows shows that canceled, but the new shows are exciting too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited for Pitch. What's that? Which one's that? It's um a new show that's going to be on Fox. Um, and it's about this. Uh, it's like the first girl signed to like a major league. I think it's major league baseball. Oh um, yeah. Like, um, but she's also black and she's a pitcher and I'm just like, yes, like a show. And she looks great. Like the main actress looks like she could be a star. And so I'm excited. I hope it does well. I actually haven't heard about that. So you watch the trailer. It's even if you don't like sports, it's like, it seems like a really good show. Oh, mm. uh, so it's like Friday Night Lights. <laughs> I hopefully. Yeah. We'll Cause see. like that show was about football, but it was a lot, not really about football. <laughs> it was not football. All right. All right. Um, anyway, so that's my long-winded yeah. answer. This- <laughs> that's all right. Um, Willoughby, you want to Okay. Uh, so I saw um, All the Way by uh, the HBO, the Brian Cranston, Lyndon Baines Johnson movie that it oh, was on last Matthew? night. With Anthony Mackie and Martin Luther King Jr. And it was really great. It's based off of the the same play that Brian Cranston starred in. He won a Tony for it. Oh. Um, and now it looks like he's going for the Emmy for this one. Uh, he's it's he's like a like in the 
description on HBO Go, it says that he's a tour de force performance. And, like, that's, like, I know that they're trying to market their own stuff, but, like, that is accurate. He, like, is charismatic, and I've never seen Lyndon B. Johnson be this, like, fun or entertaining. Like, I saw Selma a couple of years ago, and he was very much, like, not, the, like, it's a, a, a different LBJ. Like, this LBJ is very much, like, um, like, fun to be around and also like funny too and just like brian cranston's always great like from hal on malcolm in middle to walter white's breaking bad just i'm i'm so happy that brian cranston has a has the career that he has because he can be super funny outside of character but then be this super like amazing actor on screen and like we'll just forget that trombo ever happened well if you saw the jimmy kimmel uh the birthday party oh, thing? Oh, the, the, the Super Sweet 60. Yeah, the They make 60. a reference to, like, how, like, not even Aaron Paul saw Trumbo, or they make a joke about that. Oh, it was great. Trumbo wasn't good. Like, that's, like, the little stain on his career. I haven't it's seen funny it. funny because he got nominated um, for it, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, my, I don't know why, but, <laughs> but yes. I think Because Hollywood this, loves movies about himself. Yeah. If this, movie, if this movie was in theaters, I think he could be nominated for an Oscar for this one. It was it's definitely his... One of his best performances yet. Wow, I should. Um, and Anthony Anthony Mackie was also like great as Martin Luther King. Like he was, like he was everything that you would expect Martin Luther King Jr. to be. Um, and it's like, like Anthony Mackie's best role probably I don't know, but he was definitely really good in it. Are there um, going to be comparisons to David Oyelowo? I mean, people were kind of doing that on Twitter last night when I was watching it, but I I mean they're. I mean, it's, like, different, because, like, it was, Selma was about Martin Luther King Jr., so it was very much about him, whereas All the Way is very much about LBJ, with Martin Luther, kind of, like, they're almost like the size of their roles are, are, are reversed, because, mm, okay. um, like, yeah, MLK is in the movie a lot, um, and he's definitely, like, a driving force for a lot of what LBJ is doing, especially with the Civil Rights Act, mm-hmm. um, and they have a lot, they have fun interactions with each other and by fun i mean it's fun to watch like it's mm-hmm. it's a very serious like s- stuff that they're going through but it's like it's enter it's entertaining to watch these two actors like play these like historical figures um so yeah i'd say all the way it's on hbo go right now if you have access to that hbo premiere last night so they'll probably show it a couple more times during the day today um Sweet. yeah it's watch definitely it. like it's you know and bradley whitford plays hubert humphrey at one point he says uh yes mr president i was like oh my gosh all right now anya's definitely gonna watch this <laughs> i have to oh my gosh yep. anthony, anthony mackie right, is another eight. star oh anthony mackie is oh. another star that um i just want to do well so sorry for interrupting but yeah no you're fine anthony mackie's so interesting to me because he said things and i'm just like uh, I don't know about you. Was oh, it like and Jeremy Renner? Yeah, no. he's like he's like a Jeremy Renner for me. Except <laughs> except Falcon's way more interesting than uh, Hawkeye. But Hawkeye's um, number one in my heart. So listen, no, you know I love Hawkeye in the comics, but Hawkeye in the movies does nothing. Yeah, this is the writing's fault though, not Jeremy like, Renner's fault. But I'm, Hawkeye in the comics is like top notch. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, Anthony Mack is like a Jeremy Renner for me, where he's a bit of a problematic guy. And I'm like said specifically, but he said some weird things about women and 
also just like just weird things. It, okay. You can look them up. I mean, I'm sure yeah. there are receipts. Oh, but I don't want to look it up now because I like <laughs> Anthony Mackie. <laughs> I'll look it up. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it later. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. All right, HT. What do you really really like this week? Um, I really really like this week is the Nice Guys. I saw it with Willoughby yesterday, and we were actually or yeah yesterday. Friday. Friday. No, today's, Friday. Today is Sunday. Today's Sunday. <laughs> Two days ago. And we were talking about, like, oh, which one of us should take it for the a really, really not like for this week. But I loved it. I am a big Shane Black fan, despite only seeing, like, two of his movies. I have not seen any of Lethal Weapons, so I cannot comment on the buddy comedy movie um, in general. But I really like the sort of neo-noir, dark comedy thing that he has going for him lately. Um, and that's kind of subverting the whole even kind of subverting his own buddy comedy genre, in a way. Um, he did this with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is one of my favorite movies, um, with Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer, which was um, also a sort of seedy L.A. noir film. And Nice Guys is that, except in the 70s, with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. And it was just, it was so good. It was so funny. Um, you don't have to worry about all the jokes being in the trailer because just the entire movie was laugh out loud. Um, and... It even had uh, a fun little kid sidekick who never really was relegated to the role of kid sidekick because she was basically the moral center slash best detective of the film. And she was very impressive. I I think we'll see good things for her. She kind of reminded me of like, Kiernan Shipka in Mad Men. She had that sort of more mature, uh, precocious vibe to her. So I liked her a lot. Ryan Gosling is hilarious. He had this sort of spastic portrayal which you don't see with him a lot he kind of goes for the more stoic cool he's cool this one he's totally dorky totally the opposite of cool it was it was great to watch um just like all the hijinks that he gets into um he's basically like this drunken hot mess of a private detective who kind of stumbles along a lot of stumbles into a lot of like their their finds, like the clues and stuff. He's just like, he falls off roofs all the time, and he's like, I think I'm immortal. <laughs> um, Russell Crowe is just like this great big bear of, you know, the straight guy, the straight man, um, who just is, um, like, beats up people for a living. Um, but he's kind of, he also has, he's the the big guy with the heart of gold type of person. He's kind of a gooey center at the end. Um, and I like that it didn't stick completely with Shane Black's, you know, mold mold of the straight serious character versus like the more hot shot spastic naive guy so I like that they kind of switch up some of the characteristics it's really funny it's hilarious dark um it's about like the porn industry in the 70s so it's very lurid also the car industry and the car industry but both yeah best of both worlds um I totally recommend it Yes, and I do too. Mm-hmm. Yay, all of that. I'm like really excited for. It. I haven't seen it yet, but like you said, I love Shane Black, so I'm yeah. excited. Yeah, it's basically like for those of us, for those of you who don't know, we love Iron Man three. Yes, uh, yes people think we do. people think people don't understand why we like Iron Man three, but it's great, it's brilliant, um, and it's all because of Shane Black, and uh, so and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is so great. And this movie is so great that I, I, I just want him to be also very successful. Yay! I like to think of, of uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron Man 3, and now The Nice Guys as a sort of weird trilogy for Shane Black of the neo-noir, um, subversive movie 
I guess. Set set at Christmas. Set at Christmas. Each of them have a Christmas theme. It's Always so at funny. Christmas. Yeah. But it's not really like it for the nice guys. It's really tacked on. Yeah. Like, it could it could have been set especially because it's Los Angeles. Like it could have been set during any any season. Mm-hmm. But like it's not until the end where you're like. Oh, it's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. They're like the new favorite Christmas movies, like Die Hard. Yep. But they're not about Christmas, but they are set at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Like, you can watch Iron Man 3 at Christmas time, because it's a Christmas movie. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I'd say that, like, each movie, Christmas is less and less important, even though it's still set at the same time. Like, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was kind of like, there was a lot of Christmas stuff going on, and then Iron Man True. 3 was kind of, Chris, like, was set at Christmas. So, like, things that are Christmassy were happening, like, you know, the big bunny present, uh, present, and then at this one, you get just, like, kind of, like, oh, it's Christmas. Yeah, in, like, one scene. But it's really fun. Yeah. Um, you know. If you like rapid-fire dialogue, hilarity, uh, Ryan Gosling falling off things, you will like this movie. Ryan Gosling has never been more, like, vocal than I've ever seen him in this movie. Like, I feel like a lot of movies I see him, he's just, like, staring off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. And this one, like, he's, like, talking a lot. Yep, that makes me I was... happy. I really like Ryan Gosling, so. Me too. Mm-hmm. And he's Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe looks like you can just hug him. But then also he could kill you, so. Yeah. The I also love Russell Crowe. Me too. I love both of them. I had faith Right, like, I'm them. really glad Russell Crowe made a comeback. Yeah, me too. I'm always a fan of, like, second waves and careers. And he's great. He's so his Twitter's amazing. It's a gem. He's a Twitter. Okay, I asked. Yeah, him he's now. hilarious on ah, it. Of course, of course he is. <laughs> okay, but yeah. All right, guys. Uh, so if you have any thoughts on art house film, indie films, if you have any favorites or any thoughts on how they fit into Hollywood, you should definitely come let us know. If you have any thoughts, um, let us know what you think of the Beauty and the Beast trailer when it hits tomorrow morning. Uh, what you guys think of all the upfronts, any new shows you're really looking forward to. Uh, if you guys saw All the Way, give us your review of that. Let us know what you think. And, of course, go see The Nice Guys. And if you have already, also let us know what you thought of that. Yes. All right, and where can they let us know all of that will be? Okay, so we have a blog, millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. Um, you we're on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. We're on iTunes where you can rate, review, and subscribe. And as of earlier this week, we're also on Google Play on the Yay! Play Music Store with where they have uh, in their podcast section. If you have an Android phone or a phone with Google Play as like your source of like media, like uh, like the Google Play Store, um, you can find us there. Um, we're, uh, we're the, we're the same thing we always are, the Millennial Falcon podcast. Um, all 25, now 26 episodes will, will be there for download, for stream, to listen to. Um, and basically, you know, it's for anybody who doesn't want an Apple phone. So, there you go. All right. And where can they find you guys? I am at HTrendBooey on Twitter. I am at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And I am at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.